0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. It's the Jeffra episode. We're finally getting, all you Jeffra fans, we're finally getting around to the moment you've been waiting for because, well, unfortunately, we have to talk about how Jeffra was voted off tonight. So, Andy, let's talk about how Tony voted Jeffra off tonight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think we're done talking about Jeffra. That was fun. That was nice. We went all to the deep cuts of the times she did the things and then nothing. But, yeah, this was all Tony's decision um, to the point where the show wasn't that interested in featuring Jeffra, and uh, I'm not going to criticize them for that. Um, Did Tony make the right decision voting off Jeffra instead of uh, Spencer?
0: Short answer, no. Long answer,
1: no. And as pro-Tony as we've been here, I have to agree completely. Uh, this was the wrong decision, and it's pretty simple uh, math here. Jeffra, not a threat to win. Spencer, very much a threat to win. Jeffra, not in the game. Spencer, still in the game. Bad. Yes.
0: I And Tony the self-interest thing should have trumped everything else. Like Tony needed to act in his own self-interest. And I don't think this move does that because of what you just said. I mean, it's, you have to think of threats at this point and he sniffed out the wrong threat, a non-existent threat even.
1: Yeah. And look, obviously his justification was that he was worried about an all women's alliance. And while I don't think an all women's alliance was imminent, uh, if you want to go just by the fact that Tasha voted against a woman tonight Um, I do think it was a potential threat down the road but not as great a threat as Spencer so it was one of those things where you can think yourself into circles in this game and if anybody's overthinking things I do believe Tony Vlachos is a, a, a candidate for that and yeah so he had this one and he already locked it in and we're gonna vote out Tasha and that's simple and if not Spencer and he had that thought already, you know, I don't know, a day ago, and it was no longer fun. He started thinking of moving on to the other thoughts, and that was a mistake. It was just a mistake, and I don't know if it'll cost him. We are we can discuss ways that can potentially cost him. I think you get to make these mistakes when you have two idols in your pocket, but it doesn't make it any less of a mistake.
0: Yeah, well, we discussed last week, like, well, you know, would him having the Tyler Perry idol make him somehow more aggressive? And we came to the conclusion, which in hindsight looks ridiculous. No, he's got no reason to be aggressive anymore because, you know, everything should just go according to plan. There's no reason to rock the boat here.
1: Silly us, Andy. Silly us. Yes. Every time you think that Tony's reached the maximum, he finds a way to turn it up to eleven. Which makes this season very interesting. It made last night's episode, which had no right to be interesting, it made it a lot more interesting. In fact I was sure I was so sure last night that it wasn't going to be an interesting episode when they gave not one but two segments to Tony searching for an idol. It was like clearly nothing's happening. Where where do you think the major blowback from this from a like a bad standpoint? How is how will this hurt Tony the most?
0: I I think it hurts him in the jury. I think he maybe could have kept Jeffra's vote at the end or even potentially kept her as a goat. I don't think in the long term he has her in mind as a goat to carry to the end. But just by keeping loyal with her for a little while, maybe he stands a chance at getting her vote. Um He definitely doesn't get it now, I don't think. Uh, just because she's not going to see a justification for why he flipped on her. And yeah, unless it's like
1: a final two with Wu, who also flipped on her.
0: Right. And even then, it's a coin toss. Like, who's, who's she going to vote for? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jury-wise, I'm trying to think of who else it it's going to matter to. Uh, so it could matter
1: on the other two people that he flipped on, right? Like, if Cass and Trish find themselves on the jury, they're going to be, you know... They could be very pissed at Tony for flipping on them not once, but twice. And then the other thing that's going to hurt him in front of a jury is he could face a jury with Spencer.
0: Yes. And uh, the one thing that I think worked to his advantage, at least, is now if he gets to the end and it's him against Trish, he beats Trish. And that's because Trish can no longer stand on a claim of, well, you know, I was the puppet master and... Tony was the aggressive one. I was doing all the hard social work behind the scenes, and I had the great ideas. And you know, Tony was implementing them. Blah blah blah. You can't say that when Tony now has essentially just gone behind your back for two major moves.
1: Yeah, and we have the no way of thinking that it's going to stop it too. Yeah, I mean it was the poverty you know, thing that she tried and it didn't work for her. But it's like you guys were all trying to slay the dragon. I made the dragon my pet. You know, that being Russell. And even there, I was like, really? So it was your idea to vote out Danielle? But it's the same thing here. You can't say that Trish has been controlling Tony when Tony basically does what Tony's going to do.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to play the puppet master defense to the jury when clearly you have no control over Tony.
1: Yeah, I mean, she will have to really sell hard the idea that she took Cass in and saved the whole alliance which I'm going to give her credit for. That did happen, and if that didn't happen, Tony probably gets eliminated. But that's it. You know, you can't say anything else. Clearly, this has been Tony's game. So if it's going to be a jury that wants to reward somebody that's been pushing the action as instead of punishing that person, uh, Trish has no claim on that anymore. So that is a positive outcome that I don't think even entered the calculus of the decision.
0: <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you. I, the clear negative is that we thought, you know, if he continued on the path and had voted out Spencer and Tasha, Trish was maybe the only one that could stand in his way in front of a final tribal. Now he suddenly has he's doubled the possible chances to beat him because I think either Tasha or Spencer could potentially beat him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think. Tasha, I would almost lock it down. If she makes it with Tony, then she probably wins. Because I think she would also have to go on like the Tom, Weiss, uh, Tom Westman immunity streak to get there, and let's not count her out. Uh, but I think in terms of immediate danger, there really isn't much. So he pissed off Cass and Trish. So they might want to vote him out. They can't. So, well, well. You know? <laughs> he does. And so this... The next time he's going to be vulnerable will be Final Four. I kind of think he always was vulnerable at Final Four. We said last week that he'll need to win that. So in that respect of getting to the end, I don't think this has changed that one bit. But, you know, getting to the end and winning are two different factors. And I think he hurt his chances. I don't think he ended them, but I think the decision tonight hurt them.
0: No, and you know what I'm thinking now, too, is that last week we just saw Spencer saying that, you know, if I'm on the jury, I'm voting for Tony. Send him to the jury. He just told That's you right. he's going
1: to vote for you. Shaking a hand on his the way there. Yeah. That was a good game, chump. Thanks, moving buddy. On. Um so, so Tony makes this big move. Spencer is saved. Um, who gets the credit? Is it Spencer for convincing Tony to that Jeffra was the threat? Is it Tasha for presenting a threat by, you know, showing this potential women's alliance? Or is something else in play here? Because people (laughs) on the internet really want us to pick a side.
0: They really do. I, I don't know how this has become such a... Like, Spencer's gotten very polarizing, almost as much as Tony. And I guess I've landed on a side. Because when Probst was saying last night that nobody can accuse Spencer of making big moves... I'm like, well, I can. I've been saying for weeks that Spencer hasn't been making big moves. I mean, I was sitting there yelling at my TV, like, what moves did, did he make? The only move I can think of was that he begged his way into not getting voted out before Jatia, who was a total challenge liability and who had dumped rice into a fire
1: and again that was like a last second buzzer beater <laughs> it wasn't until tribal council where they're like okay sure Spencer you get to stay
0: yeah exactly it was a last minute thing that they even kept him it's not like he you know alright he convinced them they kept him great job Spencer it was you know as they're about to vote they're going back and forth of okay are we going to keep him oh no
1: we'll vote for him uh no okay we'll keep him to the point where Probst was like are you seeing this like nothing you're doing right now matters Spencer they're talking amongst themselves
0: yeah And so then, last week, we discussed the multiple ways that he could have played his idol. Uh, He could have, you know, read the signals that, you know, it made more sense to protect Jeremiah. I understand not taking the risk and playing it on Jeremiah. But the smarter move, which we laid out last week, was try to pull Jeffra in and show her the idol. Because in that way, you could have actually gotten her to tell you who the vote was going for. And then you would have had numbers. And he didn't even attempt that, as far as I know.
1: Yeah, and more than not attempting that, uh, from her interviews today, it sounds like he hung around with her and Tasha while they were going on an idol hunt, while he had it in his pocket, just, you know, doing the old, ha-ha, I can't let them know and I'm going to watch them. So he had the perfect opportunity to win Jeffra over to his alliance. And he was like, no, 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 i got to keep this idol secret because, you know. It's only power is to deflect votes, even though it does a poor job of that.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see what big moves he made. Although, okay, I will give him some credit because I don't know that I'd give him full credit for this, but Tony approaches him. It wasn't Spencer approaching Tony, by the way. It was Tony approaching Spencer to say, hey, it looks like there might be a women's alliance. And I'm paraphrasing. What he basically said was, oh, it looks like Tasha's got some different plans. And Spencer just kind of fans the flames. I mean, I thought he pushed a little too hard, but clearly it's Tony, you can't push too hard, and it ended up working. So credit to him for that. But uh, are you thinking that Tasha deserves just as much credit?
1: Yeah, maybe just as much. Which is to say, you know, they share some credit, but even there, uh you well, know, we'll get to it. I don't think like, I don't think this was a amazing moment for either of them. They both were doing what you do in this scenario. You're the only people left, you talk to people that are in the majority and you try to convince them to vote out for one of their own. You try to convince them that there's a threat left in the game bigger than you. And people try this all the time. It's it just never, never successful. Yeah. And, you know, credit, I guess, to Spencer and Tasha. This time they did it, but I kind of think the reason why it worked is because they were talking to Tony Vlachos, a guy who just can't not do something. And
0: thank you for Tony not being able to not do something, because he makes the season more interesting to watch. It may not be the best thing for his gameplay, but boy, is it great for entertainment value. Yeah,
1: if you're wondering and you're you're stop listening to our podcast because we're talking about Tony, well... He's doing stuff every week. There's something new, Uh, and sometimes something we've never even seen before. And when you have to talk about this show every week for an hour, and I guess you could say, hey, you guys don't have to talk for an hour. Um, (laughs) Good point. uh, New things are a godsend. Smart play would be boring. We'd be like, hey, the thing we said last week that they should keep doing, they're still doing it. Good for them. Uh, Let's talk about the past some more. (laughs) Like, frankly, we weren't talking about the season this much last year. Once Tyson had it locked down, we did a lot more historical discussions than we did. So, you know, we talk about Tony because he's making it interesting. And, yes, yeah, Spencer does credit for Flames. Tasha deserves some credit for, you know, showing that there was a potential there by, you know, hanging out and talking. Like, let's not, let's not blow up her contribution too much here either. Um... But I think the biggest reason why this happened last night is because Tony decided he wanted to do this last night.
0: Yeah, and the, to the people that would think that we should talk about something else, do you want us to talk about Jeffra? I mean, I made the joke that we were having the Jeffra episode. What is there to discuss? I mean, there's we get very little of Jeffra, Um there's just more jeremiah last week where we're going to talk a lot about jeremiah
1: we don't see those people there's nothing to discuss about them. and yeah you know, i guess the complaint is the show should uh, Jeffra should have been featured more last night it was her boot but what did jeffrey have talked about i have decided not to vote out vote with the other group last night and i think i'm completely safe and i'm not going to do anything this week because there's no reason they're going to vote for me like she was completely blindsided oh right
0: your, your Jeffra accent is now my favorite imitation you've ever done. That, that was, I think that was quite possibly the worst. It was, actually, I gave
1: up halfway through. Like, am I really doing this? <laughs> yeah, you
0: did. Hey, know, you know what's funny is you are the absolute worst possible person to even attempt a southern accent because you are so, so far away.
1: It's only on TV. That's it. That's the only way it exists to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just a theoretical construct to you. You will never meet people that talk that way.
1: So, yes, everybody wants to assign credit that there was some kind of amazing, you know, positive move last night. No, there was just one bad move and then two okay moves.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't I don't know that one particular person deserves credit. But again, the more important thing is it made for an entertaining episode. Okay, so just in time to respond to Cass's comments about the idiocy of college-aged males, we brought in our own resident college-aged male, Kevin, who's appeared on this podcast before, but I don't even know if we're going to uh, mention that appearance because he went by a different name at that time. So, Kevin, welcome back to the show. Thank
2: you. Uh, I was actually, I believe, the first guest on the podcast under uh, the pseudonym Sheldor. Uh, A great name, if ever there was one.
0: Yeah, you totally just outed yourself there. And I think you were... Were you the first guest, or did we have our wives on first? Uh,
2: I guess I was after your wives, but I'm not sure if they count.
0: (laughs) We won't tell them you said that. You're the first guest that we did not sleep with.
2: Well, as far as the audience knows.
1: But it's just because we haven't met you yet. But it's good. I think our audience is going to be happy to know that Sheldor does indeed live.
0: Yes, because we've wondered that on the AV Club several times this year. So anyway, first of all, let's get your thoughts on the season, because we haven't talked to you in a while. What are you thinking of this season so far?
2: I absolutely love this season. I cannot say enough good things. Uh, This cast is absolutely terrific. One of the best casts in a long time. And I think they've really knocked it out of the park uh, as far as casting goes. Tony is a great character. Wu is a great character. is a great character. Spencer's a solid character. Cass is a, a great villain, which I like seeing great villains. So even though I don't like her, I'm glad that she's on the season. So I have a character
0: to root against. So basically, five out of the final six, you're a big fan of. Or at least you're glad that they're there. And Trish is an excellent player, uh, so she's great too. Okay, six for six then. Uh, what did you think about the gimmick for this season?
2: I was uh, cautiously optimistic. I'm glad that they went with uh, three multidimensional characters, or multidimensional characters within the three uh, stereotypes, um, instead of just a really brawny guys, really brainy people. And Well, I guess the beauties all turned out to be kind of dumb, but <laughs> overall I thought it was a multidimensional cast, and I liked that the the twist forced them to behave in a certain way so it shaped the dynamics of the season earlier um, than it otherwise would have.
0: Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll move on to discussing this past episode because... Uh, We've been talking on the A.V. Club about this for most of the day today. Um, since we record on Thursday, we have the benefit of seeing what everybody's been talking about about the show. And we had a big discussion there about the auction. And I feel like, and I know, Andy, you do, too, the auction just got broken last night.
1: This, can, this uh, we've been waiting for this to happen for a pretty long time. Uh, every time we as viewers watch, and it's like as soon as they started introducing either idle clues or advantages and challenges, which stretches back at least as far as Guatemala. We were like, you save all your money and just shout it out first. And clearly Tony figured that out because he gave us the interview beforehand. Uh, Spencer, that's what he was waiting on. I think Tasha was waiting to a degree, although her resolve wasn't quite as strong because she did get into early bidding uh, before, but but she hadn't won. So I don't know if she was trying to do you know the classic price enforcing of auctions or if she's just like, oh, wait, I should probably wait. Um, but... Not only did one person wait for that, but two people waited, and everybody else didn't really spend
0: yeah I'm actually kind of surprised that when when Tasha bid right at the beginning, why didn't Tony or someone in his alliance say, "Guys, stop bidding, let her win this
1: well, because I think it, everybody's self interested like I think Tony was the only member of that alliance that was you know focused on winning something other than food. I also wonder if um, production like halted the the auction at a certain point and was like, uh, "Guys, what are you doing? Like, we're giving away items for forty or sixty bucks. So, what's what's going on here? Because that's not what they want to see."
0: No, but I mean, it had to have been pretty obvious very early on what was happening.
2: I'm sure that they knew coming in because they had uh, the material of. Tony said that he was going to wait all his money. I'm sure that Spencer and Tasha indicated that they were going to do the same thing. So I'm sure that they were prepared for this situation, um, which might be why they instituted the whole rock thing. Because uh, as far as I know, that's never been done before.
0: Yeah, and would it kill them to bring purple rocks instead of black rocks? Like, just, I will donate $6 for a can of spray paint that's purple. Like, is it that big a deal? We, we really can't rename our podcast at this point. So the, uh, let's get to the fix here because there are ways to fix the auction, assuming that you want to keep having auctions. And let's ask Kevin first. Kevin, do you see potential fixes to keep the auction and not have this happen again?
2: I think it's pretty easy to fix the auction. Uh, I think there are uh, two possible strategies. The first is, to go back to what they've done in the past, which is to have multiple advantages. So you have a challenge advantage and an idle clue. Uh, So that forces players to figure out, do they want to divide their money? Um, It would have given Spencer and Tasha an advantage if no one else in Tony's alliance had stepped up, which it seems like they weren't willing to do. Uh, So that alters things a little. And the other thing they could do is make the advantage a closed item. And I think that would work best if, you know, Jeff said at the beginning there will be an advantage. It will be one of the closed items. So you're going to have to play the odds of whether this item could be rice or it could be clue to hidden immunity idol.
0: Right, that was actually one of the things that I thought as well. And uh, sort of unrelated, because this isn't necessarily a potential fix so much as another way to break it, Um, we get the rule beforehand that they're not allowed to share money or share food. So here's my devious loophole, if I were ever on the show, and I'm not going to be, so feel free to use this if you are going to be on the show. why or What's preventing you from bidding, say, $200, you win a food item. Now you sell that food item to your alliance mate for $500. Now you have $800 to bid. You guys see any reason?
1: Why would anybody spend $500 on that?
0: What are you talking about?
1: Well, if they weren't interested in bidding 500 bucks on the food item to begin with, why is it suddenly now worth so
0: 500 So you and or your alliance mate need that advantage. You Say you're outnumbered like Tasha and Spencer are. There's, you know, what was there, five against two, basically. So it, you can't, again, you can't compile your money into one big pool. But you could, as an individual player, say Spencer or Tasha increase your money with My Little Loophole, and then you can outbid Tony for that Immunity Idol clue, which they didn't realize was a clue, but for whatever advantage you're bidding on.
1: So, yeah, obviously, as it's constituted right now, I imagine that would be against the rules, and they would just say, no, 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 items aren't for share or for sale. Um, I think this just gets back to the reason why they took away money sharing in the first place is that it gives minorities no chance. You know?
0: Oh, funny you mentioned minorities, since one of the times it happened was when <laughs> Big Tom was gloating in the face of his Jewish partner because he got a ham reward.
1: <laughs> oh, no. That's a deep pull. Thank you.
2: That is the reason the Survivor auction uh, should remain, because it gives us moments like Big Tom gloating about the ham.
0: It really was a classic. I'm surprised you didn't remember that one immediately, Andy. It was really good. He's rubbing it in his face to Ethan's a Jew, and I really wonder if that would even have made air at this point. I mean, that was a good 11 years ago, 12 years ago?
1: It might, but then we'd have uh, Jeff Probst's very special discussion on racism, right? Anti-Semitism, not racism. <laughs> Well, I don't I'm not confident Jeff would make the distinction. Um, but I mean, I think for a while there that you know there'd be like one person who really needed it and then that person would get shut out because the majority would be like, "Ah, sure, here's an extra 50. here's an extra hundred bucks. So any drama that they were trying to you know create by putting advantages in the auction was taken away by money sharing. So I think that's why money sharing was taken away. Um, do we need an auction? Do you guys enjoy the auction? I do.
2: I've always enjoyed the auction Uh, I think From an entertainment standpoint I don't know if it's still necessary from a strategy standpoint But from an entertainment standpoint I think you always get one really good moment in the auction Like in this auction We got Woo and Jeff and the Ribs Having a three-way on national television (laughs) I mean where else are you going to get that moment on Survivor And that to me is worth losing A little bit of the strategic portion of the game
0: because I still watch Survivor for moments like that. Yeah, I mean, it's an entertainment show, first and foremost. And, I mean, before tonight's episode even aired, my wife saw the previews and said, "Oh, the auction episode! I love that! So, I mean, there's clearly people that enjoy and are entertained by the auction. So I think it's worth keeping. Andy, how would you fix it,
1: though? I think you guys are uh, pretty close. You have to... If now that they've added non-food items as the, basically the way of winning the auction, you need to have multiple forms of winning. And then um, Kevin suggested that they tell them that one of them's going to be closed. I don't think you do that. just next season that they do it, have a you know high value item you know in, uh, enclosed. and somebody will win it. they'll win it by surprise. And now nobody can be cautious from this that point on, and they don't even have to do it every season. The next season, maybe nothing's enclosed, but now that person that or people that'll be hanging back, waiting for you know the big hot prize, they're gonna have to bid you know beforehand or risk losing it.
2: But imagine the outrage of the internet, Andy. Can R slash Survivor handle their favorite player losing uh, out on the auction like Spencer
0: did today? Let me ask you something. Is there ever anything this show could do that would not provoke internet outrage? (laughs) Clearly, I mean, we've seen Tony this season, and he is a lightning rod for internet outrage. Spencer as well.
1: The best part about uh, how the internet is so, or not all of it, but a lot of the people that, frankly, we chat with are so anti-Tony is that Tony is us. Like, he does all the stuff that, you know, people on the internet are sitting back saying, oh, this is what you have to do. When you get to the auction, you got to save your money and all of that. But nobody recognizes it because, you know, he's brawnier and he talks kind of funny and he's a cop, I guess.
0: Uh, Speak for yourself, brawnier. I I hit the gym like mad. I got guns that could rival Tony's.
1: But yeah, like, he's the, him and Spencer are two halves of the coin, right? To the point where they had the same strategy this time. So it's funny because they see Tony as the other, I guess, as the bully that picked on them in school. But no, I think he's also a survivor dork.
0: He really is. I mean, he, he has implemented a whole lot of strategies that we, the internet commenting nerds, have suggested over the years. And I think it's just because of how he's presented that people aren't rejoicing over this. I mean, we do trust me, have many issues with how Tony plays the game. But, I I mean, he does a lot of the things that we've all been saying for years. Like, why doesn't someone just do this?
2: Yeah, for me, I could care less if Tony is a great Survivor player or not. I mean, he's clearly made some mistakes, probably his biggest of which was voting out Jeffra tonight. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that Tony makes watching Survivor... More fun. He makes the game better just by the way that he plays the game. And that to me is worth a dozen Kim Spradlins, a dozen Redemption Island Boston Robs. Anyone who is going to make the game more entertaining to me is perfect. I I don't care if Tony is a great Survivor player. What I care about is the fact that he loves playing the game and he's going to go all out and he's going to make big moves regardless of whether they're the best strategy and it makes him television gold.
0: I kind of feel like it just as the, another comparison to Tony. How different really is Malcolm? I mean, obviously Malcolm didn't do quite as many moves as Tony, but you know, Malcolm got a whole bunch of idols. He had some strategies that he wanted to try out, those sorts of things. But because Malcolm is this long haired, beautiful man, it's somehow okay when Malcolm does it and it fails, but not Tony. Tony's doing it, and it's succeeding.
2: Yeah, I don't... I never thought of comparing Tony to Malcolm before, uh, but I think that the difference is that you can palpably tell how much Tony loves playing the game, how much uh, he's waited so long to have this opportunity he's going to seize every advantage of it. And I'm not saying that Malcolm didn't enjoy that, but he doesn't quite have that same sort of childlike enthusiasm uh, that Tony has uh, whenever he plays. And I think that's what gravitates me toward Tony, and I don't know if it was quite the same
0: with Malcolm. I actually kind of feel like Malcolm did have that same enthusiasm. He wasn't quite as overflowing with enthusiasm as Tony is. I mean, you cannot walk away from a confessional watching Tony and not think that this guy is loving every minute of his time playing the game. I feel like Malcolm kind of had that same vibe going, but again, because he's... He doesn't look like Tony. For some reason, he doesn't get the backlash that Tony gets. I don't
2: know. Maybe, I think Malcolm tried a little more to be a character. Like, I know he said in some of his interviews how he would make these snarky confessionals and try to come off, you know, as kind of like a Tyson character. And I don't, I honestly don't think that Tony cares how he's portrayed on television. I think he just wants to go out and play the game his way and play the game to win. Whether or not he's going to win... Is debatable but the fact of the matter is that Tony believes that he's going to win and that's I well Malcolm did too but Tony Tony (laughs) is uh, playing the game with less emphasis on being a character than Malcolm was I believe he's just naturally a character
0: yeah I think there was some comments today about how Tony's not really playing to win and it's ridiculous like Tony, this is the thing, Tony believes that the moves he's doing will lead him to a win, and we have said since the beginning, oh my god, I can't imagine that these will actually get him to a win, mostly because there's not really a precedent for it happening, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen. I mean, no one's ever gone on a like massive immunity run like Ozzy with no other social skills and won the game. He's come close, but that hasn't happened, but at some point it will. So, Tony's crazy throw everything against the wall strategy—it's never won before, until it wins the first time.
2: I think uh, it's kind of like how Russell Hance played his first season, and I remember thinking, "There's no way going into Final Tribal that Russell is going to lose." The difference between Tony and Russell is that Tony's tribe mates seem to, or at least in the past have, seemed to respect his game more than and respected him as a person and as a player more than Russell did, which is the critical thing that was missing with Russell. So if Tony really does have this missing link that Russell didn't have, he could win. But we don't really know yet how the jury perceives Tony's gameplay, and we won't know unless he gets into the final three.
1: I think another thing that helps Tony is he's playing in a post-Russell world, right? Like, Survivor's different now. Uh, People are less prone to be angry, at gameplay. Now, I'm not saying that there was a, a flaw in Russell's jury. I think it was a flaw in Russell. I think people totally undersell just how uh, mean he was to people. Uh, obnoxious. Yeah, Tony really isn't. He's not even really insulting people in confessionals. He's just talking about how much fun he's having out there. Um, but bringing this back to broken, uh, the broken auction, I think we all agree that there's a good chance that they did it last time. Um Can you think of other instances where the Players in the game have conspired to break things that the show has tried to set up.
2: I think the obvious one is Exile Island. Uh, they sh- kept sending sugar to Exile Island and Gabon, and they tried it again in token chains, and then after that, never saw Exile Island again.
1: Yeah, basically when uh, it was happening and nobody was bidding on anything, and Spencer and Tony are just sitting there, it's like, oh, they just sugar shacked <laughs> the auction. So I think that that's the most obvious where the players just figured out the hack, right? If you're going to uh, put it on, put the idol on an island so that only people who go to re- exile and have access, then you limit the people that are going, and you send the weakest player.
0: So here's my slightly controversial opinion. I sort of feel like it's not there yet, but it's getting pretty close, that the hidden immunity idols are broken.
1: That was just actually going to be my example, too.
0: Yeah, so there's been far too many instances of vote splitting people have figured out like okay if you don't see a person around camp just assume that maybe they have an idol and then vote split and it's i'm trying to think of recent plays where an idol has actually worked to save the person that played it i mean it's vote splitting has gotten so good now and targeting the person without the idol has gotten to be such a popular strategy that it's Idols just aren't as powerful as people think, but I think there's still this perception that they are among the players.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I think uh, Caramon and Blood versus Water conspired to break the idol, uh, and and yeah, it was that constant vote splitting, so that I don't think there was a successful play. Uh, I think, I guess you could say the 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 three bro play was ultimately successful. The votes was were put on them, and then Philip put out. But that was such a uh, unique situation
0: well and actually in that case philip did end up getting the most votes so those idols were sort of wasted because eric did flip his vote so it turned out they wouldn't have needed them
2: and the the critical thing there is that it really it really only saved uh, malcolm for one week it only saved reynolds for two weeks like the idol they weren't able to use the idol to fundamentally change the structure of the game it was basically just a temporary get out of jail free card
1: yeah, and then in Blood vs. Water you see where like nobody even cared about the idol. They were throwing all the clues in the fire and all that. You know, it wasn't until Tyson found it after the merge. And then basically post merge once people started needing it, they started looking for it, but it was too late, Tyson had it. So it's almost like a defense or at least an understanding of why they could bring in the Tyler Perry Idol. Why you get that text is like, hey you should do this thing that you know we already did, you know, eight years ago or whatever is that maybe the regular idol isn't working anymore, so while it seems like it's unfair for, to have an idol that you can just basically have a get-out-of-jail-free card, maybe Survivor wanted to get back to the idea that the idol actually saves people.
0: Fairly reasonable. You have any other suggestions on things that have been broken in this game, Andy?
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking uh, Richard Hatch broke the game to start with, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: He broke the uh, Survival Adventure game?
1: Yeah, I mean, he broke it for the better, right? I mean, he created the game that we love, but Alliances totally derailed what this show thought they were going to be about. And it took them to Season 3 to start jiggering with it, right? They were like, okay, so this is the way it's going to be, and if this is, it's going to be boring. Because like in Survivor Australia, they were very rigid with their Alliances. I mean, maybe they voted out Jerry a little earlier than... um, the Roger or Elizabeth Hasselback. Yeah. Sure. But other than that, it was like, no, that's my alliance and we came into the merge, six versus five. Um, so, in Africa, suddenly they start, started throwing in swaps and it's just kind of like they've always been trying to make sure that alliances don't wreck the game. But yeah, almost from the beginning, alliances broke what they thought. And then the other one I thought of, um, even though the show won't admit it, but didn't Boston Rob break Redemption Allen like, almost at the very beginning by sending Matt Wright back
0: uh, Redemption Island was broken before it was introduced.
1: It was a flawed concept.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, otherwise. it's terrible.
1: Uh but yeah, it was like, oh, it gives you a second chance in the game. Man, yeah, for 3 whole days. Yeah.
0: Right. I think far more important to success in this game is luck, and there's just a lot of different ways that can manifest. Um Like you said, if you happen to be on a Redemption Island season, maybe if you're Ozzy, that's a fantastic bit of luck. Although it wasn't luck in his case, so much as orchestrated. But that's fortunate because that's something that plays to your skill set. But luck, and Andy, you've said this many times, luck is just as important to your victory as your strategy or your social game. And is Tony the luckiest player that we've ever seen? I mean, he really does benefit... He hasn't had any blowback from his moves. Uh, nothing's blown up in his face, at least so far, that we've seen. Andy, would you agree with that? Um,
1: Luckiest? I don't know. Like, that's what people are throwing around right now, because, again, God forbid we ever give somebody credit for creating their own situations. And we're, you know, as we get deeper into this conversation about luck, we are going to mention that creating your own luck is also a thing. And so I don't want to use it to... You know, Talk about people that got lucky as a way of diminishing their win. Luck is just a factor of this game and everybody needs to accept it. And also I'm not, you know, a crazy tinfoil hat thinking that the producers are like just shoving clues into Tony's lap. You know, like they literally did with Spencer's lap and an idol clue. But, <laughs> but again, that was lucky. I don't I don't think that was actually interference. But he has certainly been lucky. He's lucky to be there on a season where they brought back a superpowered idol. He's lucky to have found that idol. Although again, some credit—he's the one that looked the hardest. He's uh, lucky that Tyler Perry is friends with Jeff Probst. Exactly, and I think he knows that. Uh, what do you think, Kevin? Is—is he—is—is is this more luck than skill? Uh, a great mix of both, or what?
2: I—I I don't know how you can measure the amount of luck a player has. I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that you know he's lucky that he's. On a season with all newbies. He's lucky that he was on a season, just the structure of the season was beneficial even before he got there. And you can say that for pretty much every winner, every big time player. There's so much luck, even that we don't see, that goes into victories. Like he's lucky that he didn't get injured in some freak accident. I mean, there's all this stuff. So to be able to quantify luck is kind of. I don't know. I don't see how you can do it, especially because every single person who's ever played the game has gotten lucky or unlucky to some degree. You know, that's why Survivor is so difficult.
0: Yeah, and that was kind of my point. Is it you're not going to win the game without some measure of luck, whether you created it yourself or it's a happy circumstance that happens. I mean, if you happen to be on the wrong end of a tribe swap, uh, this happened to. V- well, actually, Vitas sort of recovered from it, but he, he got swapped into a tribe and was clearly at the bottom when he'd had a great position before the swap. Um, so there's a lot of things out of your control that, you know, you have to endure in order to win. So if we just had to hypothetically pick a luckiest person ever, I don't think it's Tony. I think that there's been much luckier, uh, players in the past especially because we don't know Tony's final outcome yet. So if he happens to win, maybe he is in the conversation for luckiest ever. But Andy, if you had to pick one person, who's your luckiest winner ever?
1: Actually, I'm going to let you go first because I think you have the right answer.
0: Okay, well, yeah, because we discussed this beforehand, and I went way deep, pull. I went all the way back to Tina Wesson in Australia because she had two major lucky things happen to her. One was, and it's funny to call this lucky, Scoopin falling into the fire, because Scoopin's tribe was, at that time, in control. They were going to go into the merge with Numbers, and as you mentioned, that was the stage of the game where alliances were basically airtight, because they'd seen Richard Hatch, they knew the formula now. So Scoopin goes in the fire, his tribe falls back, Colby's tribe goes in with Numbers, and they basic, almost pegong their way to the end.
1: So so I'm going to stop you there because in your analysis you missed a luck and that's because you've missed a fact here. They came in even, actually, and this is the other lucky piece, is that Kimmy blabbed about the one vote that Jim Varner got back when the tiebreaker was however many previous votes you had accumulated from, like, I falling contestants. I did totally forget
0: about that because it's been so long. Right. And so at the time, they knew that the tiebreaker in that case was votes against the person previously. So once they had that bit of information, Tina's tribe uses that. Now she has numbers advantage. She gets all the way to the end with Colby. Obviously, Tina doesn't get to control her own fate at that point. She's clearly not the best person to bring to final two. Colby takes her anyway, and she wins. That, to me, is incredibly lucky. It doesn't diminish her win in any way. She, it was still an impressive win, no matter how you slice it. But whole lot of luck in that season for her.
1: And what do you think, Kevin? Uh,
2: my logic on this is probably not quite what you were thinking, but I'm going to go with Sandra, for the simple reason that she has won twice. And winning the game of Survivor, in addition to requiring a whole lot of skill, also requires a whole lot of luck. And I'm not taking away from Sandra, I love Sandra, I think she's one of the greats to ever play, and I think that you don't win Survivor twice without being at least somewhat good at the game of Survivor. Uh, ask Russell Hans. But, you know, the fact that she got to the end in both seasons, and you can point to pivotal uh, points like in Heroes vs. Villains, the fact that uh, the villains decided to vote off Courtney instead of Sandra, when clearly Sandra is the more dangerous player because she gives uh, a a flip about the game and Courtney really doesn't. The fact that they let her stay in the game was incredibly lucky. Um, And then I'm sure in Pearl Islands there were other uh, lucky breaks, like the fact that Lil got, uh, I'm just thinking of this now, the fact that Lil got brought back into the game to turn on the Morgan tribe and keep the Drakes in the game. There are all these lucky things that happened to her in both seasons.
0: And not only that, but Lil brought her to the final two over fair play when I think Lil actually stood a chance of beating Fairplay. Exactly. So, and that doesn't diminish
2: from what Sandra did. She's still a fantastic player, but you don't win the game of Survivor once without a little luck, and you definitely don't win it twice without a little luck.
1: All right, so I've got a maybe controversial opinion, at least in terms of this podcast. I'm not even sure it's the right answer, but I think he deserves mentioning. Um, that's Tyson.
0: How dare I you? I
1: mean, if we're talking... L- yeah, I know, exactly. But if you're talking luck, like, literally the guy stayed alive due to a game of chance, right? Uh, Yeah, I suppose. The
2: odds were in his yeah. favor, though. I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, he did have
0: a a, num- a strict numbers advantage in that. Right, but...
1: Off. Uh, I mean, there's teams that will totally blow up their season in the NBA for a 33% chance. So, like, that's still a pretty high number, right? So, if we're just talking luck, it's harder to find a more obvious instance. Like, literally, it was a game of luck, a game of chance. And, in fact, the way he played it is he actually removed uh, choice from his matter, right? Like, he he grabbed the rock that was given to him. Now, I still think he was a phenomenal player. uh, So, again, like everybody else we've said, but... at one point in his game, it was close your eyes and grab something.
0: I feel, Whoa, whoa <laughs> phrasing, Andy. <laughs> I feel like you've just done that to inspire an angry John for the rest of our podcast, so I'll just be constantly pissed at you the rest of our podcast.
1: But again, I don't think he's actually the luckiest one. I just think it's probably the most obvious uh, example of luck rearing its head. Um, it's, I think Fabio might be the luckiest winner of all time. Yeah. And with all things, when you're talking about weird winners, obviously Fabio has to come up. But two people quit, like, right near the end. And people didn't have Fabio in their plans, so he had to go on an immunity streak to get to the end. And credit to him for that, but he didn't have to win two weeks to do it.
0: I am so proud of myself for successfully successfully forgetting just about everything about that season.
1: And then he just had the luck of going up against people that were not very good. And even there, like, Chase was actually pretty good in that final tribal council. If Chase had just had one moment of decision at any point up until that, he probably gets the votes to win. So, uh, Fabio is my answer. I like Tina as an answer as well, though.
0: Yeah, I think my answer wins, as usual. My answer is the best.
1: So, those are the luckiest. Um... Who won with the least amount of luck? Is there anybody that we could point to that, you know, we can't really find a good example of luck getting them there? Kevin, what do you think?
2: Well, I think this is, to me, it's kind of a loaded question because I don't, it gets into the exercise of objectively ranking winners, which... Because there's so much luck, for one, and also because there's no such thing as the perfect survivor strategy every person has to play to their own strengths and mitigate their own weaknesses, saying that one person did better than another person is, I think, taking away from what that other person did and sort of glorifying what you know your uh, favored winner did. So I don't like to say that you know one person had less luck or more luck or minimized their luck the most. I guess if you want to talk to the person who uh, minimized the variables, that would be obviously Boston Rob, who basically ran his tribe like the mafia. But but
1: you could uh, say the big luck that Boston Rob had was playing with all of those players,
0: right? That they would actually go along with his. Schemes and plans.
1: Yeah,
2: and in Boston Rob's credit, he took out his biggest threats at the beginning of the game, which everyone seems to forget that Rob took out Francesca. He took out some other older woman uh, who christina actually, you know, challenged him. I I think that Boston Rob, if he'd been on the other tribe, could have figured out an arrangement uh, to get to the end. But I think that saying that Boston Rob's win because he minimized his chances as better than someone else's win is kind of, I don't know. I think it's a disservice to the other winners.
1: Yeah, but again, I, I don't think saying somebody caught a lucky break here or there actually makes them a lesser player or a lesser winner. I'm just trying to think of examples where there's somebody that, um, I'm not sure if you can point to an example of luck, and it just could be because the game was more straight up or anything. Like, I was thinking in the early seasons... Luck may may have been a less of a factor, even though again John already had the good example of Tina, uh, than it is in later seasons, just because there wasn't as many variables in the game. You couldn't say, oh, they got lucky because they found an idol or you know things swapped around for them. Um, so my example or my, what I'm going to put out there, and you guys can challenge this. Um, Tom Westman
0: oh, man, that's what I was just going to say. I was going to say, let's walk through this, because this is the only one I can think might actually work. Well, there Tom we go. Westman. must
1: be the right answer. But, uh, yeah, yeah. This is basically because he was always winning. So there was, that kind of took away the luck factor, because he was never available to be voted out.
2: I am going to challenge
1: this. All right. Uh, and I don't know how long it's been since you
0: guys have watched Palau. So you probably don't. It's been a long time.
1: The time it aired. You probably don't remember this, but one of the major reasons that Oolong never won a
2: challenge is because their strongest guy uh, turned, broke like did something to his ankle when he stepped on a coconut shell in the middle of the night. He couldn't walk anymore, and then they lost the challenge, and at tribal council, he told his tribe mates to vote him out of the game because he was bringing the team down. And after that, Oolong never won a challenge.
1: I do remember that. His name was Jeff. They had already lost three challenges before that. So I it's like, I kind of question how valuable was that guy anyway? Like, they, he, they hadn't won yet.
2: But it's a thing, like, we'll never know. Could they have won another challenge if they had, you know, a third alpha guy? You forget, uh, the challenge that uh, he had to drop out of was the one where uh, they're all lined up together and they have the weights, and it's basically the strongest guys go head-to-head against each other. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they basically had to substitute Jeff for Stephanie, who uh, had to compete with Tom and Ian and Greg on uh, Karor. I mean, if Jeff is in that challenge, Oolong was the physically stronger tribe just in terms of muscle mass. They p- probably had the, the odds were in their favor to win that particular challenge. So...
1: And then do you think that they win a few more? Is that what you're you're positing here? Because one challenge doesn't really make a difference. Tom wasn't getting voted out pre-merge, right?
2: And, I mean, I think it definitely changes the dynamic of the game when, you know, Ulong doesn't lose every single challenge, and they come in with at least some threat to the Karor power structure.
1: And then my other thought was Brian Heideck and
0: your justification
1: uh, I just I couldn't think of really a lucky instance so the big one that I think would leap off the page is Xi'an, uh flipping but not and then getting voted out but did that really benefit Heideck's Tribe I mean her flipping would have also benefited them right if it was natural merge so I, I have
0: I c- a very cynical point that I could call luck in his season but I'm
1: not going to because <laughs> we're not going to be able to edit it out <laughs> Ted and Gondia that's the one but other than that i mean he kind of brainwashed everybody and like people weren't looking to vote him out it kind of seemed like and then he won a, a good string of immunities. so i think people who win immunities might be the ones that pardon the pun are more immune to luck i don't know
2: but then you also say, are the challenges that they were given that were suited for them to win? Are they lucky that those are the challenges in that particular season? I mean, it's sort of like a circular game you can play mm-hmm. with this whole luck thing. I don't know. I have a hard time trying to quantify the luck concept. Sorry, guys, I'm not the I'm not the good guest for this luck segment.
1: All right, get Emma on the phone. Oh,
0: you would think a if if anything, a college student would be the one that we would want to call to quantify things <laughs> for us. Since you're actually the type that you know has books at this point but anyway uh speaking of luck we were quite lucky to be able to pull kevin away from his studies this evening which i'm sure was very difficult to persuade him to do uh so kevin thanks again for coming on thank
2: you guys for having me
0: i'm sure that you and hopefully i'm sure
2: that you will uh, not wait a season and a half to invite me in the future
1: It'll definitely be at least two seasons. It's like Malcolm. They didn't want to keep bringing him back every season. Oh, wait, they did.
2: How am I going to pass Matt and Emma on the Purple Rock Podcast guest power rankings if
0: you won't let me come on the show to challenge them? (laughs) It's all about quality, not quantity of
1: appearances. All right, but yes, thanks again, and we will definitely try to have you back earlier next season. Thank you. Okay, well, we got one more thing to do on our podcast, and that's make terrible predictions for next week. And I will say that while our predictions have been terrible, uh, you try predicting this season. Seriously.
0: Yeah, seriously. Tell us how successful you've been predicting. <laughs> like, I am somehow winning our Survivor Fantasy League. Two to and- one or something? <laughs> no, i
1: was sorry. I was like, because we were originally going to keep score of our predictions. And yeah, it's like, I think maybe you might be in the lead three to two, or maybe I am.
0: Woo, exactly. Like, it's it's not exactly a score that you want to hang your hat on at this point.
1: But, yeah, so uh, I'm just going to roll it forward. I still think Tasha is the biggest target, and if it's just a matter of her losing at some point. Because not only, I think, does Tony want to vote her out, I think he wanted to vote her out last night and just couldn't. Um, Cass has given interviews where she said that if Tasha makes it to the end, she will win, so she can't let that happen. Uh, Trish wanted to vote out Tasha instead of Morgan. So I still think, no matter what, people might be you know, maneuvering against Tony. I think Tasha would be the number one target. And if they do maneuver against Tony, he's not going home anyway. So that would be who he would vote cast his vote for.
0: I, I'm actually going to go in a different direction for a couple of reasons. One, because apparently Tasha is the new immunity beast and I'm totally rooting for her to break the immunity wins record uh which she'll be at four if she gets this next one right pretty impressive go tasha um so my theory is based on the fact that a tasha could win immunity and b from the preview we saw Cass suggesting that she might try to vote out tony which he has to know and does know is impossible but still i feel like tony's the guy that like He's got the come-at-the-king-you-best-not-miss attitude, and he's not going to just be threatened by Cass. I think he's going to let her steer votes towards him or hope that she steers votes towards him and then vote her out.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I forgot. it's a good chance that maybe Tasha and Spencer might fuel that fire. It's like, yeah, you don't have to take this from Tony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just sitting on his shoulder
0: going, yeah, you do it. Don't let her take talk to you that way.
1: All right. So you've made an immunity-proof uh, prediction. So I don't think you need to make another one. Uh, for me, if if Tasha uh, wins immunity, then I'm just gonna say Spencer. I think then it'll be time for. Because basically, what I'm thinking is who will Tony vote out, which is like trying to catch a cloud. I understand, but uh, because his is the vote that will matter. Either people will vote for with Tony, and that person will go home, or they'll vote for Tony, and that person will go home.
0: Tony's predictability is like a magical unicorn because you'll never find it.
1: Uh, where, what you can find is us on social media.
0: Oh, brilliant segue. I, you can't hear it, but I'm clapping for you. You uh, can't hear it even though I'm right in front of a microphone.
1: So uh, follow us on Twitter at Purple Rock Pod. At, no, at Purple Rock Pod. Uh, send us emails. PurpleRockPodcast at gmail.com. Send us voicemails on Skype at jrpurplerock. And uh, follow our blog, com. That's where we post the podcast. Maybe we'll even write a few things. And you can also follow us on iTunes.
0: Yeah, and you should subscribe to us there and leave comments about how amazing we are. Five stars. Nothing but five stars.
1: I'll take adequate. Just be like, yeah, it's a good listen. I listen every week, maybe after three other podcasts. No. Um, we also want to apologize. This might have been our choppiest-sounding podcast ever. Uh, we have families. We got things to do. But we wanted to get this out to you, and hopefully we have. John, anything else yeah. to say?
0: I'm just so glad to put my name on this mediocre, mailed-in project for this week.
1: Theme music!